Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the regularly scheduled discipleship training program. We're going to be continuing from the book of Numbers into the book of Deuteronomy as we continue through the scriptures together. In this class, summer is over. Look outside and feel whatever it is you feel when school starts. <laughs> it's going to be good to ha have a scheduled pace in the, the book of Deuteronomy. I think there's a lot of things that you'll learn here that maybe you didn't expect. Uh, think like it is with every, every Bible book that you would study. It's always, it's always better than you ever knew when you study it. And that's definitely true with the book of Deuteronomy. So when you guys, you think about this book of Deuteronomy, what are some of the things that come to your mind? Like what, what, what is this book about? You know, what are the contents of this book? So what is, some thoughts from the audience. Yeah, slap yourself, slap the person next to you. Nobody's next to you. Move next to somebody. <laughs> Deuteronomy. The yes, the word Deuteronomy. Uh, what what it means is it, it's a from the Greek translations. It's a it's a word that implies you know second law. which it, it isn't that, by the way. It's just the, what you're going to see, it's just a sermon on how do you live out this law that has already been given. Now, other things that you think of when you think about the book of Deuteronomy. I know that you don't just draw a blank. Like, you know some things about Deuteronomy. All right, they, like Moses, Israel, God. I don't want to tell you too much. <laughs> You're welcome to look at the, the answer key on your Bible, which is the book of Deuteronomy. What about when you get there in your Bible reading? You come to Deuteronomy. What do you think that you're getting yourself into. Like, oh, here's that book that's about, it's the book that has this stuff in it. Yeah, so it's, a, it's about, well, one, there's the, the, the reminder of the, the Exodus event, but there's also this, this new relationship that they've been brought into that now we have a new generation that Moses is helping them that, to understand, you know, what should, how should you understand this relationship? What should it look like? Andrew. Yeah, uh, that's ex exactly what Deuteronomy is. It's, just, you know, how, how do you live out this law? Well, you got, you essentially get three sermons from Moses and you know, how do you think about these things that have happened in history? You know, how do you understand uh, the law and how, how it is applied in everyday life? Which is ultimately, it's not, this is one of the things you want to be careful of is to, God isn't just calling them to, to do some things on the outside. You know, he's not just giving them a bunch of rules to follow, but what he's interested in is their heart. And can you think of any super popular verses out of Deuteronomy that have the word heart in them? Yeah. 
Yeah. Alora, can you think of a song about Deuteronomy 6.5? Yeah. The, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Where does that first show up in the Bible? That's <laughs> yeah, in Deuteronomy. Uh, who, who preached those realities in the New Testament? Yeah, Jesus did. Uh, Deuteronomy is more than just a bunch of laws. And when you read it, certainly you have those sort of things, lots of laws, which you know, I want to continue to reiterate. The word law, it just means instruction. It, doesn't, it does not mean rules. It means instruction. So you're saying there's a bunch of instruction about how you understand God and how you live for him here. When you start reading these instructions in Deuteronomy, are they just random? All right. We, get, we had somebody who was willing to give the wrong answer. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're not random. They're all ordered and structured. Uh, Moses, while he was preaching, wasn't preaching whatever popped into his head. Uh, he had a structured outline, which, was, which is a 10-point outline, which is based on the 10 words. You know, he's preaching the 10 commandments, and, he's, and he goes through them uh, in order, is Deuteronomy a book that a Christian could do their devotions in? What do you think is devotional about the book of Deuteronomy? This is really like, you tell us, Bible teacher guy. That's why we came to your class. <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, is there any point, like when you go through Deuteronomy, is there any of it that's, that feels confusing? Yes, it, it does. There's just some of it, like you just don't understand. Uh, you weren't part of that. There's cultural things you don't understand. You don't understand what it was like to live then. There's phrases that maybe sound funny or they sound unclear it takes some time to understand but does that mean that the book of Deuteronomy is unclear just because it's difficult no it just means that, that every single bit of it is clear it just it takes effort to get clear on something you just think like a, a calculus book you don't just pick it up and go well this is hard to understand obviously it's confusing and really unclear and nobody could understand this and I was like well no the, the problem's with the reader it's not with the book necessarily right that's true when we come to the book of Deuteronomy. It's not that it's unclear, but there's parts of it. It just takes more effort to understand. And as you grow in understanding it, you, you'll, you'll get it. Is, does the book of Deuteronomy just show us that God is legalistic and he just wants people to follow a bunch of rules? How is it, how is it not legalistic? It certainly has a lot of legal stuff, but what makes it not legalistic? Yeah, there's focus on uh, forgiveness of sins, on redemption. You know, the, the, the focus isn't on you doing something for salvation, but because you have received so great a salvation, how do you live in, in light of that? And... You know, as we had talked about, God, God isn't interested on external conformity. He's interested in the heart. You know, that, that's where it, it's not legalistic. You know, God isn't just saying, I want you to have a certain type of behavior in the world. He's like, no, I don't want just a certain type of behavior. I want a certain kind of heart from which certain behaviors are going to come. And it, one of the things you find that's, you're going to find that's interesting later on in Deuteronomy, it's going to address these ideas of self-righteousness and legalism is that you can have somebody who's actually legalistic about not being legalistic. You know, they're, they're self-righteous about not being self-righteous. And 
we'll get into that, that confusing mess in the future. When you think about you know, books within the First Testament that lay out you know, really foundational theology, well, let's think about it this way. In, in the New Testament, what is you know, the epistle that you think, you know, this is the epistle? Like if you were going to read any of them and understand most of the Bible, you, Romans, yes, sir. Now, when you think about Deuteronomy, where do you think it ranks you know, in the First Testament? in relation to something like Romans and the New Testament. Yeah, it's at the top, you know. Like I, I set this up in such a way that you knew that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the, it's an absolutely foundational book. Just think about what's going on in history at this point. You, you have this old generation who was unfaithful to the Lord that's going to die in the wilderness, but there's this new generation that has a zeal for holiness. You see this in the priest Phineas, who sought to make atonement for the people. You saw Zelophehad's daughters that were serious about believing in God's land promise and seeking for it to be faithfully fulfilled because they knew it, it has to work somehow and we want what God has promised to us. You see them you know, organized in their, their clans, you know, preparing themselves to go into the land because there's this new generation in which they, they have a zeal for holiness because they've seen another side of God's holiness that happened to their parents, which was his holy judgment carried out on them because they disobeyed him. But they said, you know, we don't want to see his holiness displayed in judgment against us. We want to see it displayed through us in obedience to him. So you have a new generation that's being raised up here, but they didn't live through all of the things that their parents had lived through. They hadn't been taught all of the things that their parents had been taught. Uh, they needed somebody to tell them what was the significance of the Exodus? You know, why did all of these things happen? Why did these things happen in the Exodus and in the wilderness and to our parents? How are we to understand these things and to live in light of them? Uh, this is set up to, the, it, it has to be a foundational theology book because this is exactly what you know, this new generation needed at this time in history. And Deuteronomy is going to end up being foundational to the rest of the Bible. Uh, it's going to be foundational to books like Isaiah and books like Romans and the Gospels. It's hard to get a grasp on other books in the Bible without first understanding Deuteronomy because it is such a foundational piece to the rest of Scripture. And because you're familiar with the rest of Scripture, you probably just know a bunch about Deuteronomy because it's based on the foundation that's laid here in this book. Some people are hesitant to study a book like Deuteronomy because they say, well, we're, we're under the new covenant and we're not under the law. Therefore, it doesn't you know, directly relate to us. You know, maybe it's good for some illustrations and a sermon every now and then, but ultimately it's law and we're in the new covenant. Why do you think that that's a misconception? I'm assuming it's a misconception because it is, but... Why do, you, why do you think that's a misconception about Deuteronomy? Yeah, it could be human tradition. Just, you know, well, just what other people have handed down and how we understand the book of Deuteronomy. It could be part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, obedience from the heart hasn't changed. Yeah, and it, this is where Moses ends in his final sermon just before his death and that he, he preaches that you, you have to have a circumcised heart. And he says, but it, you don't have one and you can't give yourself one. And so it, it sounds like a really hopeless conclusion to a sermon until he says one day God's going to give you a new heart 
which anticipates what covenant? Yeah, the new covenant. So see, you see the anticipation of the new covenant at the end of Deuteronomy. It, it sets up for that. So in a way, it's like, you know, the new covenant isn't so new after all. You know, it was the, the thing that was being looked forward to in the old, ultimately. So why, why study Deuteronomy? I mean, why, why study Deuteronomy as opposed to just skipping off to, to Joshua and reading about all that cool military stuff? Why should I stay here in Deuteronomy and not skip this book right now? God put Deuteronomy here. Uh, that's really all you need to know, to know if you need to read it next or study it. Like, God put it here. And God knows things better than I do. And I can trust him and uh, see how this all works. But also, we know this book reveals who God is, like every book in Scripture does. And for those who love God, we... We just want to enjoy that fellowship with him. We want to know what he's done throughout history. We want to understand where history is going and what he's doing now and how we live in light of who he is and what he's doing in the world. So one of the mistakes that we don't want to make when we come to Deuteronomy, we don't, we don't want to say, well, I don't know how this book is relevant to me. But what you should be asking is, well, how am I relevant to the Bible? How am I relevant to Deuteronomy? Because, you know, I... I profess to have relationship to the God who wrote this book and gave it to us, ultimately. And I don't want to undermine that it is. It does take some work and effort to, to understand an ancient text. Uh, you're reading a book that's in a culture that is very different from ours, and it takes some effort to enter into that world to understand what was happening then. And you're also reading something that was translated from an, an ancient language so it's written in you know literary forms that you're not used to reading phraseology and structure and logic that isn't you know immediately accessible to you you know it, it takes some effort and that's part of why God gave teachers to the church you know to help with that Deuteronomy, as a book, it, it interfaces with everything that comes before it to interpret the past, but it also is a giving application in the present because what God has done in the past affects how, how you think about life today. Maybe that's most clear when we just think about the creation week and being made in the image of God. And the way that we understand ourselves today is by going all the way back to the beginning of time and understanding, you know, what am I? Uh, I'm a human that was made in the image of God, and that has an effect on how I think about myself today. You know, it's the same with the book of Deuteronomy, and it's doing that same sort of thing. It's looking back at what God did in the beginning with Israel so they would know how to live in the present as Israel. And... You see the same sort of thing happening throughout the New Testament. You know, over and over, the New Testament authors put you back in the, the book of Deuteronomy to understand today and to understand the future. So what Deuteronomy does is it, it packages up the truths of Genesis through Numbers and it carries them forward. But it carries them forward into the next section of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Prophets which begins with Joshua, but it, it provides the interpretive framework from Joshua to every other book. And so when it comes to, you know, understanding what's happening when you get into Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles and all of that, it's like, well, why are these things happening? It's like, well, because of what was written in Deuteronomy. You know, it provides the interpretive grid for understanding why Israel's history is unfolding the way it is, 
why you're understanding kings this way and prophets this way and priests and their relationship to one another. It's also going to connect with those things that happen with Ruth and Boaz and, you know, what was going on in the threshing floor and his feet and all of this stuff and the shoes and why, you know, he's marrying her and she's not marrying this other guy and, you know, all of these laws that were about teaching people about God and his redemption in the world. Because it doesn't re-explain all of those things in Ruth because then Ruth would be super long and just assumes, you know, Deuteronomy and therefore you understand why people were thinking like this, acting like this, and these things were happening. Deuteronomy provides the interpretive grid for those future events. So previous revelation in Scripture, uh, while you're reading the Bible, you, you have to think about, let's say you're reading like a book like Kings or something, and you think about how much Bible did they have then? Because they only knew all of, knew about the scripture that had come before it. They didn't know about later books. You know, they didn't have Romans yet, but they kind of did because Job actually lays out most everything that's in the book of Romans. But you want to think about that in your Bible reading. It's building on previous revelation from that point, and it's building on it which is why it's Deuteronomy is doing that exact thing. It's looking at previous revelation and building on it. But it also then becomes previous revelation, which everything else ends up building on. And what happens here is that you don't, you don't receive new laws or new situations necessarily, but you're just getting further expositions on all of the theology that's already been laid out in scripture. There's not a new, there's not a lot of new theology that comes any later in scripture. You know, it's all already been laid out and now it's just being applied and happening in the world. An example of this happening in scripture in in the book of Deuteronomy, we read about how it, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, how do you think that 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 revelation, which becomes previous revelation, builds out later. Into Galatians, yeah, it gets quoted in Galatians. And before that, in Isaiah 53, you read about this suffering servant who's going to be cursed. He's going to be lifted up, which is another way that they talked about being hanged on a tree. But you also know from Deuteronomy that God not only promised curse, but also blessing and restoration. So you think that this can't be the last word, like him being cursed can't be the end of it. When it talks about the suffering servant being a, a blessing to the nations and it anticipates a, a restoration of Israel. Uh, it anticipates the suffering servant being buried and bearing the curse so that he can extend the blessing to others in which we read about them again when we get to the gospels so you see all these things begin building throughout scripture in relation to one another now genesis through deuteronomy all authored by moses is known in hebrew as what what do we call it in Hebrew? The Torah, it's, which is the, uh, the Greek term is the Pentateuch, which means the, the five book book because they recognize it was in five parts. Uh, in Hebrew, it's the Torah. Uh, we translate that word law or instruction. That's what it is. This is the book of instruction. This is the foundational instruction for the, the rest of Scripture. And it's broken out into five parts. The first one is Genesis, which is the book about beginnings. This is how you understand the beginning of all of these things in history and how you're to interpret them. It goes to the book of Exodus, which is about God's name and his redemption. And it moves to the book of Leviticus, which defines God's holiness. 
And Numbers then displays God's holiness and what it looks like in the world where he judges the lack of faith of the wilderness generation, but he, he raises up a new generation that's going to enter into the land. And so he shows his, his holiness is so powerful that even after an unholy generation, he can raise up a holy generation right after that one. And then Deuteronomy then prepares the new generation to enter the land. Uh, they, they don't come pre-prepared. Uh, they have to be prepared. And so Deuteronomy concludes the Torah instruction and it transitions from Numbers to Joshua, from the wilderness to the land of Canaan, from curse to blessing. So at this point, God has raised up a new generation that is serious about Holiness, they're ready to enter into the land, but before they do that, they're going to need some instruction. They're going to need a, a full theology of the law, a full theology of God's instruction, and how do you live in light of it? The Hebrew title for the book of Deuteronomy is just the first four words that you read there. It's, these are the words. So if you follow the, the Hebrew titles of these five books. The first one is In the Beginning. The second one is Now These Are the Names. And then the third book is And He Called. Fourth book is In the Wilderness. Fifth book is And These Are the Words. Which is really laying out the, the story of all of Scripture moving from the beginning to a focus on the names who are about the, the name to those that God has called, and he called them in the wilderness to tell them something, to pass on his word so that it would be known and reflected to the ends of the earth. In history, at this point, it's been about 40 years since the Exodus event, and the book of Numbers ends with Israel on the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan across from the Canaanite city of Jericho. And God is raising up this new generation to enter into the land to give them a full theology of his instruction and to help them to understand this, is, this instruction was only meant to instruct you. It wasn't meant to save you. Uh, you don't find your, your salvation in the instruction. You, know, you find your salvation in the Lord who saves by grace alone. Now, the Levitical system and the law have all been laid out and they've been laid out as models. We had talked about that within you know, the whole Mosaic covenant. I had explained in a Sunday school class a, a while back. Uh, you could understand the, the Mosaic Covenant being like Mo Moses has a, a model train and a model ticket booth, but you can't buy real tickets to ride a real train in his little model ticket booth. He just shows you this is how it works. You have to buy a ticket, and then you can go get on the train and ride. But he's like, but I can't. Well, one, the, the tickets are outrageously expensive. <laughs> they're, they're millions and millions of dollars. I can't pay for it. And... I also, like, a model train can't actually take me anywhere. It can't take me into the promised land that was promised to Abraham. So they're, they're just pictures of real things to come in the future. And you think of, this was like a God's flannel graph or, you know, VBS skit to teach Israel how his salvation works. But it was, those things in themselves didn't bring about salvation. They just showed it. This is how all this stuff works. And then we had talked about in Numbers the priestly covenant made with Phineas. And that God shows, I'll accept a substitute. I'll accept a substitute who buys that train ticket for you and puts you on a real train that can actually take you somewhere. So Deuteronomy here, it, what it is ultimately is Israel's constitution as a nation. You know, this is how you're to understand who you are, how you're to understand the things that I've taught you and how you're to live in light of them. Deuteronomy defines who, 
who Israel is and what it is that drives how they live their lives, what it is that's supposed to make them tick. It, it defines and it shapes their history. So the theological theme for Deuteronomy, if you want to write this down in your notes, uh, the, the theological theme for Deuteronomy is God prepares Israel to be his nation in the land. God prepares Israel to be his nation in the land. And the way this relates in the book, as we've talked about, is he shows them, this is where you've been in the past, and these are the key things that you should have learned from what happened in the past. But he also tells them, this is where you are going in the future. And he lays out uh, what makes their past as what's going to make their future and lays out a full theology of this, this statement that's repeated throughout Deut Deuteronomy. The land that I am about to give you. You keep reading that. The land that I am about to give you. Now, one of the things you want to hear in this is that there are some conditional statements about them entering the land, but also it is going to happen. You know, God is promising that it is going to happen, and he's helping them to, to understand that there are requirements on them, but they also should have a certain hope and that they are going to enter the land. And this is developing, a, a, you could say, a theology of place, a theology of the place where Yahweh would choose to cause his name to dwell, which we've already seen that laid out in part in the tabernacle, which is a place where his name would dwell. But we also saw that the way that the, the tabernacle was adorned was exactly how the priests were adorned. And if God lives inside of the stuff that's adorned that way in the tabernacle, then his, his intention must also to be, to be to live inside of the people. It's like, why are the priests dressed like walking tabernacles? Because God's people is going to be the place where he's going to dwell ultimately. You know, it's looking forward to the new covenant and the reality of the permanently indwelling Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy, we have the 10 words or the 10 commandments that are preached. You know, they're not just restated, but they're preached in application to this new generation. As we've already talked about, the 10 words are linked back into creation to this into the 10 words of the beginning of the bible and what i'm referring to is that phrase god said you know god said and it was so god said and it was so which shows up exactly 10 times in creation and moses is laying out the full theology of the 10 the 10 words of the god of creation and he sums it all up in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, saying, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You know, the, the law is about you loving God. The God of creation is all about you being loved by him and then loving him back. The, the model of tabernacle worship and everything that was going on there is all about a holy God who wants you to love him. So Deuteronomy, one of the number one things that it does is it defines the nature of love. Like if you're going to understand love, you need to understand the book of Deuteronomy because it defines how you understand love. And as we've mentioned, these law instructions are not random as you go through the book of Deuteronomy, but they're all structured around the Ten Commandments. Right after Moses goes back and he lays out those ten words, he goes, and here's how you live by number one, and here's how you live by number two, here's how you live by number three. And he specifically lays that out for this generation of Israel. And then the book concludes with blessings and curses and explaining the rest of Israel's future. So for the original audience, you could think this, this was a book that, that would secure their worldview. Uh, you know, we talk about Christian worldview. Well, this was 
I don't know what they called themselves exactly then. You know, these were the, the this was the Yahweh followers worldview class. And it laid out how they were to understand the past, the present, and the future. This was telling them that it was teaching Israel about understanding the, the heart of God. You know, the heart of God isn't just that you follow a, a bunch of rules that he's come up with, which you're going to see that they wrestle with that for generations and generations in thinking that he was just interested in certain ritual washings and external things rather than the heart. And yes, it's true that you should obey them, but you got to recognize there's a purpose behind all of them. It's not just some interesting thing to do. All of these things were meant to, to teach certain theological realities that were targeting the heart of man. And Deuteronomy is about that purpose, and that purpose is going to, to take them somewhere ultimately. This book calls the Israelites to, to faithful covenant love to Yahweh in response to his gracious salvation. So he's not calling them to obedience to earn salvation, but it's because of salvation and to make his name known to them and to call them to their missional role in the world. So the book of Deuteronomy is about the heart of God and the heart of man. Deuteronomy is about the heart of God and the heart of man, which is why I've subtitled this whole class, Loving God Well. You know, if, if anything's accomplished in the weeks that we'll spend in this book, it's but we should know how to love God well at the end of this. We should know how to define what it looks like to love God, which I think it'll perhaps correct some misunderstandings about how we think about love, but it's going to zero us in on how God wants us to think about it and help us to understand his heart and how our heart can be about his heart. So this book relates to generations beyond itself. Uh, this book was indeed the constitution for Israel, but where it shaped their worldview, it also shapes our worldview. Uh, not everything that has been spoken of in Deuteronomy has been fulfilled yet. There's still things that are still future, even from our standpoint, that were written in the book of Deuteronomy. And this helps us to understand you know, not only a, a, you know, a Christian worldview, but understanding the rest of the Bible from this point onward. If you can understand this book, you'll better understand the heart of God and also where history is going ultimately. Some have referred to Deuteronomy as the gospel according to Moses. Why do you think somebody would refer to this as the gospel according to Moses. Think, think about you know, the gospel according to John. It, it starts off with a historical prologue. It goes all the way back to the beginning and it relates to the word of God, but the word not just being spoken through Moses, but becoming flesh. And then it goes on to show you what he is like and what it is to, to love him, to know him, and to follow him. You know, the reason you would see Deuteronomy being like the gospel according to Moses is because it's like the gospel according to John. You know, it's laid out very much in the same sort of way. And what did Jesus think about the book of Deuteronomy? Did he ever teach from it? And if he did, was it just rarely or often? Was it just something just in the background in his teaching or was it primary? Was loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength just kind of like a preliminary sort of thing or a subpoint. You got to give me some interaction here. <laughs> yeah, he liked it a lot. Yeah, Jeff. 
Yeah, uh, what Jeff's bringing up here is you know parallels into the Sermon on the Mount, which it, Deuteronomy. You think about that the this guy Moses was a guy who gave a sermon on the Mount. When Jesus comes along, he gives a sermon on the Mount, and you know and he he summarizes the law exactly the same way. You know, it's about loving God and love your, loving your neighbor. Well, how do you do that? Well, he lays that out, you know, as the new covenant lawgiver and shows this is how it's going to apply, you know, under my administration. He says, I, I'm fulfilling that covenant and I'm going to ratify a new one and this is what your life is going to look like under it. I don't think it would be wrong to say that Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book in the Bible. And when you start looking through things that Jesus quoted and you look up the cross-reference, you're like, that's from Deuteronomy. That's from Deuteronomy. And that's from Deuteronomy. That's from Isaiah. But this is from Deuteronomy. He also really liked Isaiah too, which is very much based on Deuteronomy, by the way. <laughs> uh, th- can you guys think of any times when Jesus quoted Deuteronomy? He schooled the devil three times from Deuteronomy. All right, that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, you can see, uh, what, you know, it, it, Jesus's example. What, what's a book that you need to have under your belt when you're being tempted by the devil? Like Deuteronomy is a pretty good one to have. We should work that into like a, an adventure club semester somehow sure it's already built in there somehow what about Paul did Paul ever teach from the book of Deuteronomy does his life have any connection to like the calling of Moses in any sort of way Dave will tell you about all of that in the book of Acts as we get there but it's like, this guy's like Moses, but his name starts with a P. It's different. Now, uh, Deuteronomy ends up shaping Paul's eschatology. And you think about the section in Romans 9 through 11 when he's talking about uh, Israel's election and their struggle with self-righteousness, but that God still has a plan to save all of Israel well, where did Paul get all of these ideas for his eschatology? You see, he's just quoting Deuteronomy throughout that and saying, well, I built out all of my eschatology from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, an invaluable resource toward us that perhaps has more, more treasure than we know. It's... It teaches us about God's grace and redeeming people who are bound in sin. It teaches us how, how, do, how do you respond to him after he saved you? What does it look like to love him? And then, you know, if you've been reconciled to him and you've been reconciled to a community of people that believe in him, well, what does it look like to be reconciled to them also and to live in fellowship with those people? It's also a book that tells us about the certain destiny of the redeemed. You know, there's a lot of books in the Bible that kind of tell you what the whole Bible is about. You know, I said that about Exodus, and I said that about Leviticus, and I'm going to say that about Deuteronomy. It's another book that just tells you what the whole Bible is about. It lays out, you know, the, the whole swath of everything from the beginning to the end. And Deuteronomy, you could say... Uh, it really solidifies what the life of faith looks like. You know, it, it's not just theoretical. You think in, in some ways what has happened with Israel is that, you know, they've built a lot of stuff that has theological significance. They've been given a lot of instruction and they have this idea on how this worship system is going to le- look. And like, well, what does this look like in just terms of everyday life? Like, I get that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but how do I do that? How do I do that when my ox gores my neighbor's ox? 
Yeah, does loving God teach me what to do in that situation? Loving God and loving my neighbor in that situation or any other. You see, uh, it does. I know none of you have an ox or anything. That's one of those uh, cultural things that's very different. But you have dogs, and maybe your dog goes and bites somebody else's dog. Deuteronomy would be helpful for you because you'll have to go to your neighbor and say, because I love God and I love you, I have some wisdom from the Lord on what to do about the dog. <laughs> well, let's look at the first five verses here of Deuteronomy, which functions as a sort of preamble to the book, and we'll start to step into it together. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahav. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it happened in, well, they didn't have Google Maps in these days. They had to, you know, explain, you know, the location of all these places. But you see, it's real history. It's a real place. There's real geography here. It's laying out the setting here. Verse 3, now it happened in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that Yahweh had commanded him to give to them. After he struck down Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and, Ed and Edri. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying. And that's where we're going to leave off with an ellipsis on that. I'll pick up there next week. This is the beginnings of a preeminent theological treaties here from the first testament of scripture establishing the foundation for the rest of scripture that's going to give us necessary information for understanding you know god's leader and spokesman which is going to connect to understanding other leaders like kings and prophets and priests and the main point of that's made here in this section i think is this that this is the book that makes the difference between the past and future. Now, this is what Moses is beginning to preach to them. He's saying, this is the thing that makes the difference between the past and the future. This is the thing that makes the difference between being dead in the wilderness and in the promised land. This book, as you can see, is a sermon. You get that? And it says... These are the words. Say, well, and whose words are these? And it says, Moses spoke. Moses spoke these things. Some people want to argue about who authored this. You don't need to. It just says, Moses spoke. You know, <laughs> who said this stuff? Moses spoke. And he spoke words. It was a sermon. And he's like, well, where did he get his sermon material well, it was according to all that Yahweh had commanded him. He was a preacher who was restrained to preaching the word of God alone. He wasn't inserting his ideas or adding to or taking away from. He was preaching what had been given to him. Yeah, think about this statement in John 1. 16 to 17 says from the, the fullness of his grace speaking of Jesus we have all received one blessing after another for the Torah was given through Moses grace and truth happened in Jesus Christ so you see you know instruction about grace and truth came in Moses uh, in a way you could say uh, it it was you know, mediated, grace was mediated through Moses, but it's embodied in Jesus. You know, it wasn't just shown through Moses, but then you see the one who is that grace in Jesus Christ. And Moses is serving Israel as 
a sort of mediator of divine grace as a pastor. You remember this guy was a shepherd and shepherds work in a pasture from which we get the word pastor. And uh, everywhere he pastored, he stayed for four decades. You know, his life was broken out in these sections of 40s. And you need to understand that while you're coming into this book is that you're reading a sermon from a pastor. You know, this is Pastor Moses. who He knows his audience. He's been with them for 40 years, which is what he's, he's going to address them and say, you know, the reason that you guys shouldn't be self-righteous is because I know you. You guys are evil. You can't be, you can't, should not be self-righteous. You guys are wicked. And I, I guess he probably knows what he's talking about. He's been with us for 40 years here. Maybe we can trust his assessment. But he also understands his role as a teacher. He knows that he's there to instruct other people in the love of God, in the grace of God. And he knows the importance of bringing them into remembrance of Yahweh's gracious acts and covenantal instruction. Now, how, how quickly could Israel forget what the Lord had done for them? <laughs> that wasn't a good one. That wasn't fast enough. But it's like, it was almost like, did you guys like even notice what just happened with the Red Sea? Like the red what? <laughs> and why do you think that remembering God's gracious acts throughout history is so important for God's people throughout the ages? Yeah, it gives us hope. We're forgetful, right? Which, you're going to see, this is going to tie into the concept of love. You know, one of the things that defines love is that love remembers. You know, love is not forgetting. Well, how does love not forget? Forget? By doing this in remembrance of me. These people are dead. Yet some of them live and you're going to meet them. <laughs> so they were to, to remember the Exodus event. They were to remember the things that were taught to them because you can so easily forget about them. Uh, I've looked back through sermon notes and stuff that I've taken or study notes that I've had and uh, it'll be after I think I've uncovered some new truth in scripture I've never noticed before I'll be studying something like this is amazing like I've never seen this before like, I am so excited to teach other people about this and I look through notes that I have like seven years ago and it found out I actually learned this seven years ago I just forgot about it and so the blessing of forgetting is the joy of rediscovery <laughs> But you, you have to be disciplined in that rediscovering and re-remembering over and over because we can forget so easily. And so one of the things that Moses also does is he, he pleads with Israel to guard against spiritual lethargy and defection. It's like, don't, don't be lazy in this. And like, because when you're not moving forward, you are moving backwards. You, you can never just stand still. You can never be neutral in your relationship with God. You know, if you're, not, if you're not moving toward him, you are moving away from him. And Moses also functions, he's, he's the covenant establisher in a way of the, the old covenant. He's the prophet of it and the mediator of it, which is gonna, it's gonna set up some parallels to, to Christ as the new covenant establisher and prophet and mediator. And as I've mentioned already, you know, Moses is, what, what's happening here is a sermon. I mean, the, this is, you know, the earliest expository preaching in history. You know, he's preaching his Bible. You know, he's, he's opening up the, the book of the covenant and explaining it and applying it to the people that's in front of him. And in fact, in a class that I had on, you know, the history of expository preaching, the first sermon that I had to read by other people was not from Jonathan Edwards. It went back even further than that in history. It went all the way back to Moses, which was really striking to me because I was just like, I hadn't really thought about Moses as a preacher, but that's exactly what's happening here. And why am I so dull? 
Don't answer that question. <laughs> so at this point behind Israel is the wilderness, which was a place that represented death and judgment. But in front of them is the promised land. In front of them is blessing and restoration. And they're, they're, they're standing there. You got to think about that just uh, they could see all of these places around them, and all these places had certain memories. You know, some places had, would, would remind them that, well, they would be grave sites. Like, I remember when the sons of Korah did that. That is a bad idea. But they could also see, you know, the mount from which God gave his instruction. And remember that uh, it, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. They could see all these places around them that was associated with all sorts of memories and they're, they're, they're looking at the promised land. Like they, they can see both the wilderness behind them and the promised land in, in front of them. You know, all of this was very real and Moses is preaching there to them about what would shape their destiny and to give them hope for the future he reminds them of Sihon and Og, which was, you know, I talked about this. I said it was like a sort of early, like Christian creed or Israelite creed. We say, you know, we believe in these certain things. Well, the Israelites would say, well, we believe in the faithfulness of God because of what he did with Sihon and Og. We believe in a God who fights for us and is faithful to all of his promises because we know about that event. And so one of the th great themes of Deuteronomy is understanding history as theology. History is theological. Uh, history isn't merely a sequence of events that's evaluated by cause and effect, but what history is, is God in action. Because God is the one who is working all things according to the counsel of his will. You know, he's not hands off in anything. Uh, he's causing every single detail throughout history to, to work towards his purposes. Part of the evidence of this is the fact that he elected Israel as his own people. You know, this is showing that history is not random, but it's the outworking of what God said to Abraham. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Uh, all history books should start with that. Like you understand the rest of world history from that statement, I will be your God and you will be my people. It wasn't by coincidence or human endeavor that the sons of Israel were brought out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery and led to the land promised to Abraham. Now, all of that was prophesied by God himself. He said, this is how it's going to happen. He told Abraham, this is what's going to happen. Then it happens exactly like he said. He said, everything's going according to plan as you know, hopeless as it might have looked at certain times. History begins and ends with God. God is the beginner of history. Everything is about him. Uh, Paul House in his Old Testament theology writes this, quote, history has no autonomous power of its own. It has meaning because God gives it meaning by dealing with human beings in space and time, end quote. So history is revelation and it requires a response which is why it's crucial for this new generation to understand the Mosaic covenant that they would live under. All of this would display God's goodness toward them, his faithfulness to their parents, his faithfulness by nature, that it would continue to them unchanging because he was faithful in the past. And that would encourage their present obedience. You know, it's like, well, if you thought that God was going to be unfaithful in the future, then you wouldn't you would kind of question if it was worth being obedient to him. But if you know, God's going to be faithful no matter what, and, and he can't change. And I just want to be faithful to him. You know, my, I assess the grid of everything in life through how can I be faithful to the God who I know will always be faithful to me. 
There's another theme that is super prominent in Deuteronomy, and that's of the land. The word land comes up over and over and over. And it's the, the place where God's presence will dwell ultimately. That's what was so significant about the land. It was the place where God's presence would dwell, which they saw that in the model of the tabernacle, but also promised in these boundaries which God laid out for Abraham. And Deuteronomy begins with uh, an explanation of these people in a land looking at another land, saying, you're going to go from this place to that place, and there's going to be some differences between this place and that place. And Moses is here, he's speaking to them at the end of their 40-year sentence. And that's a long time. I have never done anything in my life for 40 years. I haven't even done 40 years of birthdays yet. But that's a long time to, to do anything. And they finally reach the end of it, and, and they're looking at the promised land. You need to think about that, your new generation, everything that's happened. Like, you, you want to go into the land. You, want, you don't want another 40 years of the wilderness to go on. Uh, the, the promised land should be way more appetizing than just going around in circles back in the wilderness, which was a place where they had already been before, and they had rebelled against God and some were learning my virtue of the spirit regenerating their hearts that that's not how we want to live. Uh, we want to live to honor the Lord who has rescued us. And so Moses, as he goes on in his sermon, as we'll see, uh, he doesn't give them any new laws. He just preaches on what had already been laid out, but to a new generation. He's saying, this is the significance of all the things that I, I had taught your parents. And Moses, as we'll see, he doesn't just merely preach good behavior or external conformity, but he's preaching for heart transformation. He's preaching that they would love God from the heart, not just look moral on the outside. You know, he wasn't just preaching for some sort of uh, Yahwehistic culture. Uh, he was preaching for people who would truly actually love the Lord their God from the heart, which brings us to the last major theme I'm going to mention on this book that we've already talked about. You know, it's the book that's about the heart. You know, all, all Torah law instruction, that's all the same word there, Torah law instruction, it's all aimed at the transformation of the heart. You know, that's what he's instructing them in. More than anything, you need a new heart. More than anything, you need a circumcised heart. You know, if you would love God and obey him, your heart has to be transformed. You have to be changed internally. You know, it doesn't work from the outside in. It has to work from the inside out. So this is a book that is very much focused on God's heart, for man's heart being about his heart, and we'll have the privilege of studying that and learning about it together and it shaping our lives as we continue to go through Deuteronomy. So invite your friends. We got some extra seats up front and somehow find some way to encourage you all to sit up in the front. I don't know the special way to present that to get y'all to rub shoulders up here, but... Uh, Pray about it. Pray about sitting closer to one another and see how the Lord leads you. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the privilege of knowing something about your heart expressed in Scripture. Your love, which is a sacrificial love, uh, a servant love, one that is for an undeserving people, one that faithfully keeps obligations even when the one receiving it is stubborn, stiff-necked, offensive. Your love and your faithfulness doesn't change and we pray that throughout the study of this book that you would 
shape something of your heart in us that we would be like that, that we would be sacrificial, that we would be serving, that we would be obligated to others even when they don't reciprocate love back to us. That we would learn of your heart for your people, for your congregation, for other nations, your mission to make your name known to the ends of the earth. We pray that in this study that you would help us to see you more clearly, to love you with greater zeal and excitement, with greater commitment, with a greater obedience fueled by uh, an experiential knowledge of your truth. And help us in our fellowship with one another to spur one another on to the good works which you have prepared for us. And thank you that you have also given us the gift of loving one another and that love being manifest through one another in our fellowship today. Pray that you would guide us in worshiping you in spirit and truth this morning. Amen.